I think it's important to understand people's personalities, you know, and and I don't really care essentially what's on their resume. I want to know them as a person. Are they going to be dedicated? Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode 128. Today, we're discussing how to attract young talent and build your network in manufacturing. Our guest this week is Nicole Walter, the president and CEO of HM Manufacturing, a leading Illinois-based manufacturer of turnkey power transmission components. Now, I say this to Nicole in the interview, but I don't know how I went this long without having featured her on this show. I feel like every other manufacturing podcast out there has had Nicole on, so today I am writing that wrong. I am correcting this injustice, and I am finally featuring one of the finest voices in the U.S. manufacturing world on this show. So, now that I've built things up, here are three things you can expect from this episode. First, most of the first half of this interview is spent discussing HM Manufacturing's story, what changed when Nicole got involved in the business, and a good discussion and actionable advice around company culture. Also, if you're looking to attract young talent to your workforce, HM Manufacturing is definitely a company that you should be taking cues from. Second, Nicole is extremely extracurricularly involved in the manufacturing industry. She sits on the board for four very different manufacturing organizations, so in this part, you'll hear a bit about those groups and, more importantly, how you can leverage organizations like that to elevate your own career. Finally, we'll wrap up with some industry insights. There are a couple of verticals that HM Manufacturing really serves, and you'll hear about some of the things Nicole is seeing in food and beverage, aerospace, and more at the end of this interview. As always, if you want to learn more, if you want to connect with Nicole or HM Manufacturing, hey, you can do that over at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 128. Everything you might want to access should be over there. And by the way, if you enjoyed this episode, if you're enjoying Manufacturing Happy Hour in general, hey, consider leaving us a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Over on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, you can leave that five-star rating, and that review doesn't need to be longer than a couple sentences. If you're one of our listeners that tunes in via Spotify, well, hey, it's just hitting that five-star button, and you are good to go. Anyway, hey, let's get started on this conversation. It's time to meet up with Nicole Walter. Nicole, welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour. This has been long overdue. I feel like for many podcasters, you're like episode number one or like in the first set of podcasts. So I feel like it's a, it's a crime on my end for waiting this long. So welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I, I won't hold it against you. I know you're busy too. There's other people in the industry to also interview. So I'm glad to be a part of it, at least now. <laughs> yes, yes. Welcome to the Manufacturing Happy Hour family. And in true Manufacturing Happy Hour spirit, you know what, what the first question is. If we were 
having this conversation over a drink in person, where would that be? Oh, I feel like it depends on the mood, right? So I could totally do a pub style, just like not going back. I mean, I don't I don't discriminate against the alcohols. So there's that. Um, But, you know, if I'm feeling kind of bougie, I'll totally want to be at a lounge somewhere downtown and have a martini or, or, you know, just something local, which I would do like a vodka and some sort of Sprite mix. So um, it just depends on the mood. So I can go anywhere from pub all the way to lounge. It just depends. So, well, and that, I, I very much agree with that because I'm like an ambiance drinker as well, right? Whatever the right vibe for the day is, is what I go with. So in that case, if you're having a conversation about manufacturing with someone, what, uh, what, what, what is the right vibe? Is it a lounge? Is it a pub? Where do you go for that? Um, I think it kind of just depends on the people you're with, right? So if I'm talking to manufacturing with my dad, it's got to be somewhere over dinner with a nice glass of wine to kind of calm him down and soothe him through what my new crazy idea might be. Um, if it's with some association industry friends, it could be at a local bar restaurant, just having, again, like a martini, something, you know, something fun. Um, if we're at IMTS, right? Because I know that was just not that long ago. A lot of us would just go to like the fun hotel bars and lounges and just listen to some jazz and some music and just kind of like let things roll by and just enjoy. So what I've heard is that if I'm at a trade show, I need to follow your lead on where to go because yeah. you probably <laughs> have a couple good options uh, in your uh, in your quiver. Regardless of where we're having this conversation, we got to start with a good drinking story. And I feel like the history of HM manufacturing is, is in itself a pretty good drinking story. So tell us, you know, how did HM manufacturing come to be and, and where did you get the name? Yeah. So my dad started the business in 1979 and it kind of came about because my dad raced F1 vehicles. So he was a Formula One guy. That was his hobby, his passion. He was out on the road and he started to tinker and mess with the gear ratios. Um, and then at that time, Uniroyal, who is now Gates Mectral, approached him and they wanted to co-develop the things that he was doing together. So he was playing with the different belts. He was playing with the gears. He was doing different timing belt pulleys. He was just really making a name for himself on the circuit. And he really wanted to make the engines more durable and faster. So he decided, since there was a market for it, that he was going to start doing some prototyping and stuff on his own. So um, just like any good, great business, it always starts in some form of a house, right? So this actually started in my grandparents' basement. He bought a little bridge port, a little lathe, just a, an old barbacoan, and just started to like go after a little bit, but just didn't really have a name for it. So um, he went upstairs and was kind of tossing around some names. And my grandma was like, why don't you name it? HM. And my dad was like, I don't even know what that stands for. And she said it stand, it should stand for homemade because of the quality and just that it's part of a family unit and business. And that, you know, it just it rings true because it started in the basement of an actual home with a lot of love, with a lot of passion, with a lot of creativity. So that's what HM actually stands for. So I have a bit of an aside question. Did you ever watch the show Parks and Rec? by chance? No, <laughs> I should have. <laughs> <laughs> well, for anyone out there that did, I'll throw this 20 second thing in there. The, 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 your origin story, or I should say 
the origin story of uh, HM manufacturing reminds me of a scene in there where Ron Swanson, for for anyone who listens, he's like a like a a man's man type character, a little spoof on that. Um, originally from Northern Illinois, but he names his company Very Good Building Company because he didn't want it to sound <laughs> too pompous, but he wanted it to be straightforward. So. It reminds me of that pop culture reference, but I didn't mean to derail us there. I want to hear also about your part of the story with HM Manufacturing, because you came into the picture a little bit later. Tell us how that came about. Yeah, so it was a mess because I was coming out of college in 2008, 2009, which is never a good time to try to get a job in any scenario. Um, But, you know, my background is chemical engineering and finance, and my dad never wanted me to be a part of the business. Um, And so it wasn't until like the latter half of 2009 when my dad was like, you know, the business is struggling. I think you would be, you know, great for sales. I think, you know, we kind of need a different scenario here. Um, You need a job. So why don't why don't we have you just start with us for a little bit? And then I said, "Okay, weird. Great. I guess I'll do it. Um, But. At the same token, he's like, but I think you should get a job someplace else and get kicked around a bit and go get some tough skin. So I did. So I entered the finance world for a little bit. Um, Definitely got kicked around. Definitely got tough skin. Um, Got fired because I'm very opinionated. Surprise, surprise. Uh, And so I showed up at my dad's uh, doorstep at the company and I said, I guess now is the time. So I did, but I started from the ground up. Like I did shipping, receiving, inventory control and maintenance. Um, I learned how to flange. I learned how to put in set screws and install bearings, like very good remedial things that I needed to understand the shop aspect of things. And then I came into the front office. I did purchasing. I did uh, scheduling. I did production management. Then I went into like the finance accounting role um, and then just kind of went into estimating and then sales. and. That really started to take off. And I really felt a passion and a love for the business that I never really thought that I would have. And um, to this day, the fact that I can say that I've done every division, including machining, because I'm NIM certified in CNC programming milling. So that's big too. And I've done bridge ports. I've done all of that. I've been burnt by chips. And then it got on my face and I was like freaking out because I didn't want to scar. But um, all of those things are are super important, I think. And kind of what makes me lethal is that I understand every division. So, um, you know, with the team, when I feel like there's a burnout, and I know we'll be talking about this later, it's good for me to understand. And I, I empathize with them because I've done it and I've been a part of that. So um, I think it's pretty cool. Now, I have a question about how the culture at your company has evolved, because as I understand it, like it, the the HM manufacturing you see today isn't the one that you stepped into um, you know, a decade ago, right? So maybe quickly tell us what it was like and what it is now, and then we'll get into some of the the how behind how you did that. Yeah. So when I came on board, it was a disaster. Um, it was, I, I don't want to say it was the old boys club because it wasn't, but it was like my dad's version of that. And it was, it's my way, my way, or the highway. I don't want to listen to anything. You don't know what you're talking about mentality. And rightly so. I mean, I really didn't. But that was really difficult to kind of step in and try to understand. And um, through the process of going through every division, I started to see a lot of discrepancies and a lot of issues that I wasn't comfortable with because I'm a visionary. I, I really believe that. And I'm a disruptor. And I love to come in and say, 
no more. We're doing something different. And that took a a lot to kind of get through because everyone had been with my dad for about 15, 20 some odd years. So the fact here was this little girl, daddy's little girl coming in here, trying to change things uh, was quite a feat. So um, over time, as I'm, you know, in these different divisions and I'm learning and I'm understanding people's um, processes and, and how they do things, that's why I kept going to my dad being like, this doesn't seem right. This seems off. This doesn't seem like we should be doing it this way. People aren't respecting me. Like, what is your vision for me in this company? Right. So there was a lot of dialogue for me to understand what my role was. And then for me to bring up certain issues about what, who I thought was a cancer, who I thought wasn't going to be someone that we could take into the next next phase of HM that I envisioned. Um, and slowly but surely, with a lot of angst, a lot of pain, a lot of repercussions, I would say, um, we had to start from scratch. I mean, I've done a lot of other podcasts where, um, you know, we talked about how I saved the family business because of things that I found out. Um, and so we had to let pretty much everybody go out in the shop floor because there was, you know, theft and, and other issues that arose. And so in a way, it was helpful because I was able to start from scratch and get new people that I could personally hire and start to feel out that vibe and that energy to see if they were going to be able to, you know, come with us. Um, and but that's also been an evolution, too. Right. Not everybody that was with me eight years ago, 10 years ago is with me today. And and that's OK, um, because it just it's a mindset. Right. It's a change. And as the company grows, as I start to grow as a leader, I also want different things for my team and the type of personality. Um, and the same thing happened inside the office, too. There was a few ladies who were never, ever, ever going to listen to me. And no matter what I said, how I said it, um, no matter if I was trying to use psychology, nothing would work. And that was OK. And so I had to let them go. So, you know, I think as as business owners, as, as leaders, we have to understand that it's OK to let people go because they're never going to come with us and, and be on our ship and be a part of our team and to not feel bad about that either. So culture evolution is a topic that that comes up on this show fairly frequently. So I have a question to give the manufacturing leaders out there that are listening in action from this. When you're going through that evolution, how do you determine who is someone that, A, we need this person and I can work with them, they'll be a fit, but it's going to take some massaging versus how do you determine, B, this person's not going to come with us regardless of what we do. They got to go. Yeah. So I do a few different things and, and it's, again, it's, it's evolved over time. Before, I used to be the only one that would do the interviewing. But at the same time, I'm like, well, I, I know what I'm talking about, but not fully. And so I think it, it was a mistake for me to just only solely do the interview process. So I decided it would be best to now bring in my production manager and my foreman to now do the interviews And then I could get a sense for what they thought, what the vibe is out in the shop. And then I would do the final one to give the stamp of approval and understand, you know, who this person is. And then we like to ask questions, like as basic as like, what do you like to do on the weekends? Like, what's your hobby? Do you like to work with your hands? Like, are you more of a gamer? I think it's important to understand people's personalities, you know, and and I don't really care essentially what's on their resume. I want to know them as a person. Are they going to be dedicated? Um, are, are they, do they have a second job? Do we have to be mindful of 
of kids. I, I think it's putting an empathetic role to that and then also letting other people in the company also do the interviewing so that it's a mesh. And I do that. So I, like I said, the foreman, I've got my production manager. I even have my um, my scheduling lady do it too, customer service. And then I'm the last one because it's important because people in scheduling, customer service, like we all have to talk to that person on a daily basis. And so if I feel like that that person's not going to be a good fit because they're maybe a curmudgeon or maybe they don't want to be talked to or they don't feel like you know, they're very outgoing. It's not going to be a fit because we're all very outgoing here. Um, and I don't want to like isolate anybody or make them feel uncomfortable. So at the end of the day, it's got to be a good fit for all the divisions here. I like that you used the word uh, curmudgeon. I feel like that word doesn't get used enough on this show, despite how many curmudgeons are probably still present in the industry. But on on the total flip side of that, as I understand it, I was listening to another podcast you were on where I think at the time you had about 25 employees and the average age at your company was 32. And I'm curious, has that first, has that changed since then? Do you like what's what's the what does HM look like today? Um, we're still really young. Uh, and and I, I do that on purpose because I think it's so great. And also from five years ago to what we are now, a lot of the high schools with manufacturing programs are becoming more and more robust. And so it's easier for me to, you know, because I'm, I'm on a lot of these advisory boards. And so we're curating a lot of the things that these teachers are teaching. And I'm on the Education Foundation Board for TMA, which is the Technology Manufacturing Association. And so what we do is we donate a lot of... Uh, money, essentially. And we fund these schools to get different types of lathes and CNC equipment. And so it's really cool to be a part of that. And so I feel like if I'm doing that on the back end, on the front end, I also need to be doing my part. And so I offer internships and apprenticeship programs throughout the year so that we do get these kids in here. And I can see firsthand, are they going to be a fit? Do they like it? Or do they maybe want to do something differently, but maybe in this company? And so it's important to do that. Um, and, and that's what we do. So when I say we're young, literally, we're super young because out of high school, I'm literally grabbing them from the time that they're graduated and I'm giving them a full-time job. So, um, you know, they're coming with some good setup skills. They understand the dynamics of things. And then, of course, because they've shadowed with us, they've done the inter internship program or something along those lines. They already, they already have like a really good base. And so then it's just about curating a really different experience with training and, you know, making them more mobile in the sense of, all right, now it's time for you to get, you know, more skills. So let's send you to another training center so you can learn programming and, and stuff like that. So we're young. And I do that specifically because I think it's really cool. Um, I think, you know, these kids are coming out. They love to game. They love they love all this stuff. They love robotics. They love tech. And it's easier for me to sell when we're doing it that way. So you say it's easier to sell. And I'm curious, can you sum it up into how has having such an average young age given you a more competitive advantage in this space? Yeah. Well, I mean, we're not so young that I don't have, you know, other talented, more seasoned people, right? I mean, it's, it's a give and take. So, of course, I have a couple people that are in their late 40s, but that's still super young. So they're also shadow. The kids are shadowing the more seasoned 
um, machinists. But to me, it's easy because when I bring in the robotics and I bring in the new, um, you know, five axis mill with all the new fun gadgets, like they're ready to go. They think it's great. They think it's fun. They want to learn. And I think it's a, like the next wave of kids coming in and the next generation, they're looking for that advanced technology. So when I bring that in, they're ready to go. They want to learn it versus having older technology, older machines. They're not so excited about. I, I can't tell you all the new equipment that we've gotten over the last four years. Everyone fights over being able to, to do the new Akuma mills, um, the new robot. I, it's just it's really cool to see them fight over all this new stuff. So we're going to, well, actually, I got one more question in this line of, of conversation, because at the start, you talked about managing burnout. Yeah. And I'd love to hear how you, uh, the things you do to, to gauge if someone's on the verge of burnout or the things you do proactively to prevent someone from getting to that stage as well. Because I think that's it's a danger in any industry, right? But I'd love to hear the things you're doing, especially since you kind of brought it up uh, a few questions ago. You know, it started with COVID, right? We were gung-ho. We were working lights out nonstop all the time. And then towards the end of last year, I would say, um, in 2021, going into 2022, I, I started to see a lot of scrap pieces. There was a lot of missed inspection. Um, there's a lot of rejects. And that's when I started to say like, okay, these guys haven't had a break. This is too much. And so then I started to have different conversations with everybody. And I brought everybody into the, the lunchroom and I said, all right, wh- how's everyone feeling? Because there's a lot of rejects. There's a lot of issues. You know, we're trying to give bonuses at the end of the year. But the more that this stuff starts to happen, I don't have so much in the tin to be able to give out. So What's going on? And it was great because there was it wasn't everyone getting in trouble and me yelling or my dad yelling or whatever. But it was about having honest dialogue where people could just be like, yeah, I'm tired. All right, great. So say something. Take a couple of days off, like not a big deal. You know, we've been kind of working these staggered shift anyway. So it's better to kind of understand where everyone's at. And then even today's world, like 2023, now that things have kind of settled down, um, I've changed my approach. So I go out there, I joke around with them. I, I'm always listening to them. I ask what's happening in the family, how things are going. And I, I want to be as approachable as possible. I don't want them to think that I sit in this glass box and I'm untouchable and that I'm not relatable. And so for me to go out there and just be my crazy self and crack jokes and there's, there's times I walk out there and just for example, his name's Eric. And I'm like, Eric, and I yell at the top of my lungs. He's like, what? And then I just crack a joke. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're doing nothing again? And just a different vibe, a different energy to kind of get them to like loosen up is super important too. And, you know, we talk about things. We talk about work. We talk about family. We talk about, oh, how's your train set going? And it's good to know their hobbies and different things. So you can essentially shoot the shit with them and not have them feel like you're just someone that they can't talk to. So I'm always open for conversations. Um, I mean, I always like it, right? Sometimes they're coming to me and they say that they need a raise or this, that, and the other, and and I need to take this day off. And, you know, we're just as busy, but, um, you know, we're, we're all people at the end of the day. And um, my company wouldn't exist without my team. And I'm super proud of my team. I think my team is super talented. Um, and I like what we've been able to create. So to me, it's just like, it's a give and take relationship on both ends. 
I, I had a feeling that the culture conversation would take us about halfway through the interview. Um, love all the insights there. You mentioned something else that that you knew we were going to get to in this conversation, which is uh, you're on the board of directors at like four different manufacturing organizations, which is which is a lot. I've got I've got questions around all of this. This will be a bit of a uh, a bit of a lightning round part of the conversation because I'm interested to hear, you know, hey, a little bit about each org and what they're doing well. But before we get there, let's go back to the story where you started getting involved. I think you said it was like around. 2014, where you kind of got reinvigorated with with TMA. Is that correct? Yeah. So I remember being approached by membership from TMA and them showing up and having a great dialogue, how they had like this young leaders forum and how I, you know, would be great for it. Just because at that time I was the vice president of the company and I was still trying to learn and grow as a manufacturer per se. Uh, and so it was cool that they they came out. They, you know, gave me the all the song and dance about TMA. And then as they were leaving, my dad goes, we are not. And I stress this. We are not joining. And I was like, what are you talking about? Yes, we are. And he goes, nope. I was a member of TMA eons ago and I never got anything from it. And it was a waste of money and blah, blah, blah. And I think that that's so funny because a lot of people sometimes feel that way when they don't get involved. And I love my dad, but my dad is not a networker. He is not a good communicator. He thinks that you can read his mind. That's how bad he is. Um, And, you know, God bless for that. But it it took a lot for me to tell him, like, fine, then I'll pay for it because I love to network. I love to meet people. I knew that it would be good for my career to be amongst other peers that are second, third, fourth generation manufacturers who have been through what I am currently going through. And then other young leaders in any industry, I think it's great to be able to collaborate and understand what's going on. And I have learned so much from being at TMA. I've grown personally, professionally. The company has too, because um, you know what's really cool about other, other colleagues, other peers is that they're willing to kind of share their best practices and so it's cool to be able to like bring that back into the company. So uh, I'm a huge fan of being uh, on organizations, but you have to use it. Like you have to go to these events. You have to do a part of it. And I don't want to hear people are so busy because like you said, I'm on so many boards um, and, and I can still I can still do it. And, and it's good. It's good to to kick one back and, and meet other people. So what's the, I'm going to ask you this about all the organizations you're a part of. What's one thing that you think TMA does really well? And I would say quick answers for all these since we've, we've got some ground to cover on each of them. Um, I would say my favorite thing about TMA is their training and education I, for locally. I think it is bar none. They have done so much work with their training center and adding a lot of different machining centers for different industries. And the fact that they keep wanting to add on to that by doing, um, you know, Wire EDM and they've got an amazing apprenticeship program and um, their education foundation that does the donations to the local high schools. I think for me, bar none, that is my favorite thing about TMA. I'm going to ask you about uh, some of your experience on all of these collectively at the end, but we'll just keep going through the list so far. Next one that you're a part of is the National Association of Manufacturers, NAM. What are they and what do they do really well? So NAM 
is a national organization for manufacturers. And their main, main, main thing is advocacy. And that's what I love about them is they're so on the on the cutting edge with helping with policies, whether it's for big corporations and manufacturing or small manufacturers. For me, the fact that they represent all of us on Capitol Hill um, when they're doing policy, when they're working with other Senate leaders, when they're working with the White House, they're always in the state in that mind frame of making sure that all the things that are happening in Washington is a really good thing for manufacturers. So I love being a part of their board. I have learned so much. I have been involved in a lot of policymaking because of them as a small manufacturer. It's important for us to have a voice and, and be a seat at the table, especially in Washington. Um, you know, when right now it's, 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 been, it's been a rough go for manufacturing, but the past few years have been great. And so it's, it's been wonderful being a part of NAM and all the things that they're doing. Plus, being on a national scale, it's really cool to get all the, the policies on like a daily brief of all the things that are happening for each state. So that's really cool to know, too. So advocacy, shaping policy. Next one up on the list is AGMA, American Gear Manufacturers Association. Tell us about that one and what they do well. Yeah, so they are industry leaders for standards in gearing. So the ANSI standard, that's what they do. Um, they have wonderful training all over the nation, which is awesome. So we're they're a national organization as well. They just uh, poured in a lot of money for their new training center here at the Daily College in Chicago. And so um, they're doing a lot of different coursework. They do face-to-face training. They do um, white papers, technical papers. They're on the cutting edge for emerging technology, especially with like market trends that are happening in our gearing world. Um, It's really cool to see how they've been doing all of that. They have a fall technical meeting where everyone kind of submits their white papers and they're talking about all the things, whether it's for heat treating, whether it's for like gear failure analysis, Um, all of us kind of come together and start to understand all the new emerging tech that's happening and how we can apply it. So we've made it through three of the four. The last one, I'm excited about this one because it's more local. I'm, I'm somewhat familiar with them already, but, uh, but M-Hub, tell us a bit about what M-Hub is and, and the thing that they do really well. I love M-Hub because it's so different from everything else. Um, the thing that they're most known for is their cohorts and their hard tech. And being able to create that locally. So they'll have a a lot of like artists come in. They have a training center where they can use a lot of the equipment. Um, And then at the same token, there's a catalyst fund. And so there's a lot of hedge fund money. There's a lot of local money that's been pooled. And so what they do is they, they take this seeded and funded money And they help a lot of these artists kind of get off the ground with seed money and be able to uh, kind of collaborate with other manufacturers with their products um, and be able to get it to scale. And that to me is super cool. Their Catalyst Fund is all about, you know, for the the Blacks and the minorities and the Latinos, be able to kind of open shop. Some really, really cool hard tech stuff has come out from that, whether it's in biomedical, uh, whether it's in engineering, whether it's a, it's a product for prosthetics, um, whether it's in IoT, um, it, in cybersecurity. I mean, some of really cool ideas have come from EBHUB, and it's really neat to see how that space has grown, and it's just it's gaining traction. Um, 
Shout out to Hub. We just got a, a new building that's going to be bigger and better than ever um, just because it's been growing. And uh, it's really cool to see how it's been nurturing a lot of these talented, smaller little businesses trying to get off the floor. Yeah, it's been on my list to to make my way down from Milwaukee, Chicago to to finally pay MHub a visit. And it sounds like I might want to wait until uh, the new facility is there. But uh, whenever the time is right, I'll I'll make my way down. I've got some general collective questions about what we just talked about, right? Yeah. First question is very basic. Like you just rattled off four groups you're on the board of directors for. How do you do it all? <laughs> um, you know, uh, everyone's always going to say, because it's true, like I, I could not do it if I didn't really have a good team supporting me where I feel like I could take a few days off and go do my board stuff. Um, I'm very lucky that my dad is extremely active in the business. Um, even though some days I wish he wasn't. But, you know, God bless, love that he is there. Um, but, at, you know, at the same token, I feel very blessed to have had all these opportunities that I just don't want to miss out on them. And so, of course, something has to suffer, right? I mean, there's going to be some days where like my my hobbies suffer and I can't do things that I want to do because I have to work on the business and then I have other boards that I have to be a part of. And then there's other days where, you know, the business suffers, but I get to be able to go do my hobbies and then the boards. Um, and, and so it's kind of like a give and take a lot of times. And I don't feel bad about it anymore because I'm always working. So even when I'm not in the business, I'm always dreaming of something. There's the visionary portion again. I'm always thinking of like the next big move. Um, sometimes I'll just get on my computer late at night and just do some emails, jot down some notes so that when I get in in the morning, it's just like I'm ready to go. Um, and so it's about like stacking your schedule and time blocking and really understanding what's going to be most important for me today. And I live day by day. I don't go six months out. I don't go three months out unless, of course, it's like for, you know, the boards that are already scheduled. But I think it's important to always understand that it's okay for something to not be 100% that day. Um, and that's the reason why you have your team is for them to be able to kind of pick up when you can't be there. And, and of course, you know, millennial, I'm always on my phone. So it's not like I can't be reached. It's not like they can't ever text me or get a hold of me in some sort of capacity. Um, but I, I love it. I, I would rather be super busy on these boards and at work and doing the things that I love versus not um, and only working in the business because that's not helpful either. The more that I start to be a part of these boards and meet other people in different industries, the better it is for me to understand what's happening so that I, again, can bring it back into the company with different visions, different ideas, different way of, of approaching things. So I think that's what's made me do a lot of fun things. Like, again, with the internship programs, the apprenticeship programs, and then be able to make it my own. So I don't know. I do it all because I love to do it. And the day that I don't, everyone should be super concerned. <laughs> I love that answer. I I am also a, a highly involved individual. But my next question to an extent is a, a personal question that I have on this, because admittedly, I am not as involved in as many of these organizations and boards as I'd like to be. And I'm sure manufacturing leaders out there that are listening are in the same boat as well. So what's uh, what's the right way to get involved? And maybe step one is just getting involved in the organization. But then step two, what's the right way to get on the boards in, in these type of spots, whether it is a national organization, maybe it's a more local one? 
Yeah, you know, what's interesting about the national ones is those came later on because you start to make a name for yourself when you start to do the local ones. And so my suggestion would be is find an organization that has local chapters that align with what you're trying to do. So if it's about training and education, if it's about being on a young leaders board, if it's about emerging technology, you know, find something that you're passionate about and then find an organization that speaks to it. And then reach out to them. Of course, all the membership people are going to be excited and they're going to like hound you with a lot of different things. But, you know, at least start with one and then go to the events, meet other people. Um, And the more that you start to go to these events and you start to meet staff, you know, they're always thinking of ways to get uh, new blood on these boards. And so it takes time. And I was on a few subcommittees before I was asked to be on the Education Foundation. And then eventually, after I kind of made my way up, I was asked to be on the board. Um, and, and so it's just important to get out there, to be visible, to to learn. And then, of, of course, to to make time for it, because if you don't make time for it, you're not going to gain anything out of these organizations. Excellent advice. We've covered a lot of ground so far. Just a couple more questions as as we wrap things up here. I want to learn a bit more about HM manufacturing, because when we talked and and feel free to add anything on after this, right? Your your business is focused on food and beverage, packaging, defense, aerospace. Those are the verticals I'm aware of today. Is that right? Are there others that you're involved in as well? No, those are the main ones. I mean, we've kind of dabbled a little bit in the medical space, um, some ag, but primarily we just love the food processing, beverage, packaging, aerospace, defense. Like that's fun for us. And um, I love to see all the quirky things, especially for aerospace and defense that they come up with. Um, That's always cool and challenging for my team. And it's made us better too, as manufacturers being able to do some of the crazy things that that they dream up and concoct. So that's fun. You know, a lot of food and beverage stuff has been nice, but, you know, it's easier to do. Um, and, and that's fun, too, because it's it's good for some of the less seasoned, talented uh, machinists that we have out there. But it's really neat to see what a piece of raw stock ends up being at the end when we're done finishing it and like where the application goes into. That's also really cool. So I, I have to ask then, someone was just asking me for my insights on the aerospace industry the other day. And I'm like, actually, I don't know a ton about that industry or what the current trends are in that space right now. So two part question. What are the trends you're seeing in aerospace right now? What are some of the trends you're seeing in food and beverage right now? Yeah, so I actually just was at Pack Expo in October of 22. So that's just like fresh and new. And a lot of the new trends on that front is everyone wants a turnkey system. Um, a, lot of, a lot of people are getting bought out by the bigger groups. I think that's a new trend that is really starting to capitalize on is that everyone's getting bought out so that everyone can have from a defeather station all the way to a fryer, all the way to a packaging, and then all the way to a freezer and, and palletizing. So it's really cool to see these huge lines now start to emerge as one big group versus having a lot of different uh, companies come in with their own portion. Um, and robotics, I mean, that is super, super big these days. Um, and I think that really started to come about because of COVID, right? I mean, not everybody could be at these plants. And at the end of the day, we all need our food. We all need it to be packaged. So you're seeing more of the robotic side on that end um, and huge turnkey systems. Um, you're seeing 
little more micro uh, mini bottles for liquor, which is funny, right? So I feel like our intake of alcohol has started to go up. No surprise there. I feel like I'm a huge contributor there um, because I love to consume it. Um, And then on the aerospace and defense side, you know, what's really cool is you're seeing a lot more, um, you know, not everything is so gas related anymore, right? Everyone is really trying to go green on that green energy front. So I'm seeing not as many gears as before, but you're seeing more drones. You're seeing a lot of these, you know, companies start to go green. And that's really been cool to try to to kind of get in on that. Um, and, and so that's been fun on that electric vehicle portion. They're all really starting to go down that route. And then, uh, you know, space. Space is becoming a huge new topic. And we've done a lot of stuff for SpaceX and their Raptor programs. And they're not stopping. They're really ramping up because the vision is that, you know, Earth isn't going to be a viable option in 20, 30, 40 years. So the fact that Elon really wants to get to Mars he is really pouring a lot of capital to make that happen. So we've been seeing a, a lot of fun, interesting trends in that space. And I know um, there's a lot more that are starting to come into that whole space. Well, I certainly hope Earth is still a viable option in 30 to 40 <laughs> I mean, years. because I, I I can't afford <laughs> to go. I, so I, there's that. Yeah, I, I plan on sticking around, I hope. But uh, no, I need to do a better job of asking the the industry questions towards the end of these podcasts. I feel like that's a, a wealth of knowledge that I often pass up on when uh, when I have these conversations. So I appreciate you sharing your your insights there on a couple of those verticals. The biggest thing at this point is what's the best way to connect with you and HM Manufacturing? Yeah. So LinkedIn is always the best way. I don't personally monitor by messages. I know some people think that I do, but I get so many. So my social media girl, my amazing marketer, she is always the one that kind of goes through all the messages. But um, LinkedIn's always great. Of course, email. Um, you can call me. You can call a company. You can always try to get a hold of me in that sort of fashion. Instagram, we do TikTok. We do all the fun things. So just DM us however you need to. Um, you know, our website, you can always find us in any of those uh, platforms. Well, my action item, and I'll give the action item to the listeners as well, is I need to check out HM's TikTok because I have not looked at this yet. And I feel like there is a thing or two I can learn. That's a crime. We do so well TikToks. (laughs) I, uh, well, now that I know it's a crime that I haven't done it, I will make sure that our listeners don't commit the same crime and jump on there. I'll have links to TikTok, LinkedIn, all those spots over at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com. And with that, Nicole, thanks so much for jumping on Manufacturing Happy Hour. Yeah, thanks so much. Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening. And a big shout out to Nicole and HM Manufacturing for making this episode possible. You know, on a completely different note, I hope all the Parks and Rec fans out there really enjoyed that Ron Swanson reference. Maybe about 20% of you watched that show. I don't know what the Venn diagram overlap of Manufacturing Happy Hour and Parks and Rec fans are. But regardless, I'm rambling. Let's keep moving and wrap this up.
up. You know, we listed a lot of orgs in that episode, a lot of organizations. I should say Nicole listed a lot of organizations. So please don't forget to go to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 128. You can learn more about all of those organizations over there, what they represent, how you can join. The show notes page also has ways to connect with Nicole. And of course, you can access their TikTok account over there as well. One last thing, if you liked today's episode, if you're enjoying Manufacturing Happy Hour in general, hey, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Either way, it's super quick, super simple. That feedback helps put the show on the map, helps guide us as to what type of conversations we should be having on this show. And hey, I would just greatly appreciate it if you did. So iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to the show, love hearing that goodwill from you. So with that... Stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you back here at Manufacturing Happy Hour next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.